Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us this morning. We have a guest in our studio. We have Chief Thrasher from Sierra Vista Police Department. And on the phone, we have Hal. He's going to give us an update on what's going on with the alleged raid. It's a, it's a pretty serious uh, situation. Uh, there's three federal acts. Uh, the most serious one is the Espionage Act, uh, which uh, the when they unsealed the warrant and all the information with it, uh, the Espionage Act, to give you an idea of the seriousness, is uh, it's one of the few uh, few federal laws or federal acts where capital punishment can ultimately be opposed. So that it gives you an idea of the severity of the act. Now, with that said, um, uh, they, they have secured classified material. Some of it is top secret level, which by inference means top secret. And then within that realm... Uh, there's an, er- an area called sensitive compartment information. Uh, not everybody needs to know everything, and the whole system of intelligence is need to know. So, uh, so this is stuff that's put in specific compartments, and you have to be uh, read in, as they say, to read those compartments. Well, uh, according to the documentations out there, uh, they found at least 13 sets of classified documents. Uh, some of them were at the uh, top secret SCI level. And to have that type of information, it has to be in a sensitive compartment and information facility or SCIF. Uh, there's nothing to indicate it was in a SCIF. They did say there was a vault. But having a vault doesn't necessarily secure that level of classification. But then again, they also said some of it was just sitting in the basement so beyond everything else done with espionage or allegations of espionage, stuff like that, there is gross mishandling of classified material here, and that's what they're looking at. Well, that sounds pretty egregious to me. What do you think is going to happen? Well, interestingly, uh, if you remember the uh, Hillary Clinton locker-up stuff about right. mishandling emails and stuff, well, interestingly, when President uh, Trump came into office, he actually changed the law to strengthen up, strengthen that portion of law, which part of it was if you're a, a federal official, a government official, and you leave office and you do take classified materials and you improperly or, or you know, have classified materials, that they can, uh, they can federally prosecute you for that. So he actually strengthened that law, which can potentially incur five years of uh, prison time. Karma, uh, karma, karma. <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't be the first person who's thought of that. It's like there's such a tremendous degree of irony on this. Uh, but uh, but with all that said, the president is the ultimate adjudicator of classified material. It's under the executive branch. And the president does have the authority to declassify material, and that's what President Trump is asserting is that he declassified that material. Now, there's procedures and process involved in that. Right. Uh, this is going to be an interesting case because he is, when he did, it took this, he was the president. And there, there will obviously be a very strong legal argument to say he's the president. If he declassified it, he declassified it. And, and then it will go into, did he actually do it? Is there documentation of that? Et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's going to be fun to watch this. Yeah, <laughs> I just, you is. know, everything. <laughs> I've been entertained for the last, like, week and a half. So I appreciate you telling us what happened. And, in, in, you know, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good for our safety and security, for sure. But yeah. 
thank you again for coming on and letting us know. You bet, Sherry. Okay. Have a good weekend. You too. Take care. Okay. Like I said, in the studio, we have the chief of police from Sierra Vista, and I used to live there. And I want to know a little bit more about you. I don't know anything about you. You're like this mystery person. What is your history? What's your background, and why did you get involved with law enforcement? Well, Sherry, thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, well, a little bit about myself. I'm, a, I'm as close to a service to Native as you can be without actually being born there. Uh, we moved there. My family moved there when my father was stationed as a post-veterinarian there in the early 1970s when I was just an infant. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm getting this look now. So Dr. Gary Thrasher is my father. Oh, no way. <laughs> yes, he Okay. Is. So um, he was a post-veterinarian, and he got out of the Army there, and he opened the Coronado Veterinary Clinic uh, down, down in Sierra Vista. Uh, it, well, we spent uh, some number, number of years there. Uh, for about, in about 1980, we moved to northern Nevada. My father was a ranch manager uh, out in the middle of absolute nowhere, uh, 1980, so we couldn't even get a... Uh, no TV, no television reception, couldn't even get satellite, wow. had a generator for electricity and an eight-party line phone uh, where we lived uh, in northern Nevada. And so I, I consider those my growing up years. We we're only there for three years, four <laughs> years, uh, but from nine till about 13, it, it's uh, some, some uh, I really grew up and, and learned a lot about responsibility, personal responsibility, and, and relying on family and friends. Uh, we moved to Texas for a year, and then we came back to the Sierra Vista area um, just before I entered high school. Uh, my dad opened up another uh, large animal ranch uh, practice, uh, and then uh, I went to went to high school uh, at Buena High School, uh, where I met my wife. Uh, we're high school sweethearts. Did you know Jim Castile? I I don't recognize that name. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, I graduated from Buena High School. Uh, actually, uh, my wife and I came up here to and attended the University of Arizona, and cool. uh, I was actually had a had an intent to join the the, the army. I was uh, ROTC cadet in high school and at at University of Arizona. I was on an ROTC scholarship. Uh, I had majored in criminal justice because that was kind of a, an interest of mine. But I had actually intended to do a full career uh, army career as an officer. So what happened? Well, uh, I went to airborne school as a cadet, and I got hurt. Oh, and no. uh, my last jump, I injured my back. I was kind of the uh, the dumb 20-year-old at the time, didn't really tell anybody. Um, but it caught up with me after about a year or so, and this is during the Gulf War period. Oh. Uh, we were, A bunch of us were signed up on scholarship right at the start of that. Uh, I know they were worried about the possibility of a lot of casualties, so they signed a lot of us up. When that didn't happen, they had way too many of us signed up. Uh, and so with my injury... They, uh, I, I did not get my commission. Uh, they, they still helped pay for my school, but I didn't get my commission. And so then I made a decision at that point uh, that I was going to go to law school. And so I, I did do that. I went to law school at Creighton University. Uh, but in the middle of my second year, I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. Yeah, no kidding. It's, <laughs> it's good to have the law degree, but, you know, to have the knowledge, but to actually be a lawyer, that's, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I was borrowing an awful lot of money to go there, so I actually did quit law school uh, a couple months into my second year. I came back, and I, I worked on Fort Huachuca for about a year and a half when I saw the opening at Sierra Vista and, and decided to put in because it was always an interest of mine. So I kind of joke that, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a... I'm an ROTC in law school dropout, and I ended up the <laughs> chief of police. But. 
So when you signed up at Sierra Vista, where do you go for your training? So at that time, uh, I attended the Phoenix Police Department Academy. Uh, so we, uh, they had just shut down Alita, the, okay. state, the state academy, and they were making a contract and an agreement with Phoenix PD, but it hadn't started yet. Uh, so I was trained at the Phoenix PD Academy. Um, and then right now, currently, though, we run our own academy with the Sheriff's Office and Cochise College. Uh, so, but back then, most of us went to Phoenix PD, and for a while, a lot of our guys went to the Tucson Academy. Uh, but now we run our own with Cochise College. So how does your academy compared to like the Tucson, the one over there, what's it called? CODA or something? Uh, or? So <laughs> yes, CODA is the old Alita. So okay. that's the Correctional Officer Training Academy. And then of course you've got uh, uh, Tucson's Academy. So ours is actually at the college, but it's a full-time academy. Uh, it's 20 weeks long. Uh, it's just the same curriculum set by Arizona Post that all academies have to teach. Uh, so we're teaching all the same stuff with some additional uh, things that we add in uh, at the end of the academy uh, that the sheriff's office and us need. Uh, but we take anybody from the state. So we've had people from Graham County, Greenlee County. We've had somebody in the academy right now from Santa Cruz County. Uh, the uh, Some of the uh, Indian reservations have sent some, some people to our academy. So. so they can go to your academy but work someplace else when they're done because it's Arizona Post Certified Academy. Certified. That's correct. Okay. Um, and so, and it's in partnership with the college. So there's, they stay at the college campus down in Douglas in the dorms. Um, and uh, they Douglas? have a classroom there. That's where Cochise College main campus is, is in Douglas. I did not know that. Yes. And so that's where the, the dorms are for Cochise College. And so that's why it's down there at this moment. And how far from the prison is it? Because I know a there's bit. a prison, <laughs> yeah, prison it, down there. It's, it's, uh, the Douglas Campus Coaches College is actually outside of Douglas a little bit, okay. a couple miles. So it's it's kind of its own little oasis out there in the middle of nowhere, uh, right there on the highway. And uh, so it's actually a very good uh, location for us. Uh, we do have to do driver's training up in service at our airport, and we do the firearms training at the sheriff's office in Bisbee. You do um, driver training at the airport? We do it at the airport. What we do have you a, race the jets as they uh, take off and come down? Or yeah, so uh, on the tarmac area, we, yeah. Yeah, it's a big enough area that you can set up the driving course, uh, both backing and, and, and the pursuit course out there. So you could do, uh, and that's where we do our in-service driver's training cool. right now is at, our, at the serviced airport. So Very cool. All right. So how long have you been on the department? So a little over 26 years now. Okay. I started my career with them as a patrol officer, and I was, uh, I was a patrol officer for about five years. Uh, during that time, I had become a defensive tactics instructor. I was part of, uh, I, I became a senior officer. Uh, I was promoted to sergeant and uh, took over our property crimes unit. It was a brand new unit at the time, investigating burglaries, vehicle burglaries, auto thefts. Uh, we were having a pretty good problem at that time down in Sierra Vista. I became a member of our SWAT team at that point, started off as a sniper, and then uh, was entry and became what a What kind of training commander. do you have to go through to be a SWAT person? So we you, you go to a basic SWAT school. Uh, and where's that? And it, a bunch of different agencies run them. Okay. Uh, so uh, I went to Mesa PD SWAT school. Okay. Basic SWAT school. Uh, and then we had our own uh, we had our own sniper instructor that did the sniper training, and then we go to some additional training for that. Um, right now, we've sent people up to the Pima County Sheriff's Office SWAT school. We've sent them. So it's just wherever we can get somebody in to go to a basic SWAT school to get them that initial training. And then our, our team has to train. They train twice a month 
uh, with the whole unit, and then the snipers get an extra eight hours a month as well so that they know how to operate together. So Wow, that's a lot of training. You have so. to do it, though, if you're going to be good at it. Well, and, and it's such a high liability area. Yes. Uh, so that it is really important they get that training. And then they take one day, one week a month, not a month, I'm sorry, one week a year, what we call it SWAT week. In fact, we're coming up on it where they, they spend a whole week just training together uh, and, and to, to do that training. In your area or do in they our, all train together? It's in our area for our only our team. Okay. And then periodically we'll do joint trainings with the sheriff's office because there's a lot of times where we're helping each other out regarding that kind oh, of absolutely. stuff. Oh, so, absolutely. So uh, we'll do the joint trainings with them a couple times a year just to make sure that, that we've got you know some some cohesiveness there. I know the sheriff speaks highly of you. Oh, well, I, you know what? He's been, he's been wonderful since he's been sheriff. I, I tell you, down in Cochise County, um, he took over and, and the chiefs and everybody, we've, we decided we got to get rid of egos in law enforcement. Oh, absolutely. And, and it doesn't matter the color of the uniform, the shape of the badge. If something bad's happening, let's get some trained individuals over there to take care of it, and then we'll figure out who has primary jurisdiction once we've got control of it. Exactly. And so uh, us, the federal uh, law enforcement, have all joined in. Uh, we have, uh, with COVID, unfortunately, we haven't been able to do it, but we were doing quarterly meetings with all law enforcement leadership in the county, for, all the way from federal, state, county, local, everybody, uh, everybody that, to talk about issues and, and how we're going we're gonna to help each other out. Have you ever gotten to a situation where it was like, no, you take it, no, you take it, no, uh, that, I don't want it. <laughs> that, that can happen, yes, uh, but usually it's it's the primary jurisdiction is the one that gets it. Um, but I, I, I can tell you there are situations where like, yeah, I'm, we're definitely turning this one over to the primary jurisdiction. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is have fun. So what else happened? How long have you been uh, a sergeant non-SWAT? So I was a sergeant. Not very long, actually. I promoted a sergeant uh, very, uh, to lieutenant pretty quickly. Uh, I had tested for sergeant for lieutenant. I was really enjoying myself as a sergeant. I tested just for the heck of it to to, to get some experience. I was selected. Uh, so then, at that point, I became a uh, I was our a lieutenant over our detect all our detectives, major crimes, narcotics, property crimes, and supervised them for a year. And then they rotated me to the patrol. So we like to rotate our leadership so they get experience in different areas. And so then I was a patrol lieutenant for three years, rotated back into our special ops for a little while, and then was promoted to commander. Um, and when I was promoted to commander, I then uh, was assigned to our administrative services bureau uh, uh, division. And I, I tell you that uh, was a shocker. Somebody coming up, uh, doing SWAT, doing search warrants, doing detective work, to them being put in charge of the administrative services uh, but I will tell you, it was the greatest learning experience of my life to become chief uh, because that's all the support function that the officers need. When an officer's on the street, he calls on his radio, the only thing he cares about is that he gets a response, yeah. not how that response happens. Exactly. And it's the administrative that makes it all happen. And so, you know, radio infrastructure, computer infrastructure, building infrastructure, budget, all that stuff, I did that for... Gosh, I want to say six, seven years before I made deputy chief. And then uh, I've been chief for uh, coming up on seven years in October. Is it fun? Um, it can be fun and it can be pretty <laughs> tough at sometimes. The whole job has been fun my entire career. Uh, I'll be honest with you. And it's been, it's been, uh, but there have been challenges. And, and I will tell you, uh, there are, there are times where I wish I could have just the stress of a patrol officer yes. and, and not have to worry about all the other little things that, that go on uh, that we have to take care of. 
So what's going on in your area? What what do we need to know about? Because I, I really feel what happens down there or anywhere affects everybody. So um, so our town is actually a very safe town. Um, I, I, I always like to, to kind of look at the how they report our national statistics and and I've seen where they say, well, you know, they've got a lot of violent crime down there, and uh, mainly in terms of like aggravated assaults and our reporting of aggravated assaults. Uh, but almost all of those, uh, the victim knows the assailant. Uh, we have very little stranger-on-stranger violent crime. Uh, property crimes are, are a big issue, um, uh, which is fueled by uh, narcotics. And so... Uh, like everybody else, we're struggling with the narcotics issue, and and in terms right now with the with the counterfeit fentanyl pills and and the M30 pills and those things that we're dealing with. Um, but the most um, I would say important thing that we're dealing with right now, uh, and I know Sheriff Daniels has been on the radio before to talk about this, and and we're having me- meetings and we're we're forming task force, is because of what's going on down on the border. Uh, the load drivers are coming through Sierra Vista. Okay, explain to the listener what a load driver is. Okay, so what, what the cartels are doing now is that by social media apps, they are recruiting uh, people from all over the country, to be honest with you. We've had them from Tucson. We've had them from New Mexico. We've had them from Phoenix. We've had them from California, but mainly the Phoenix area. They're recruiting people that will come down and pick up uh, an illegal alien and they're getting anywhere from five hundred to two thousand dollars a person to pick them up and transport them back up to the Phoenix area. And so, what they're being told right now is when they they need to run from the police if they're going to get pulled over and drive as fast as they can and as recklessly as they can. Um, and so, what we started seeing is we try to pull somebody over for a traffic violation, a state traffic violation. They'd run. There'd be a pursuit, um, and. In the old days, as I call it, which wasn't all that long ago, <laughs> last we, week <laughs> we would, you know, a year ago, if they got to be driving that recklessly, we'd break off the pursuit, right. and then normal people would then slow down and follow the follow the traffic laws and blend in. They're not doing that, so they're coming up into our city from from the border because we're about 16 miles from the north of the border, and they're coming through our major intersections at 100, 120 miles an hour. They're not stopping at the red lights. And they're creating a huge danger to the motoring public. Uh, we've had a fatality up in the Whetstone area regarding this. We've had a couple accidents in Sierra Vista. Uh, and so now we're in this catch-22. We're going to have to try to either stop them before they get to Sierra Vista, or we've got to block intersections and try to get them through Sierra Vista and north and then try with the, help, stop of, them after. With the help of the sheriff's office and the Department of Public Safety and Border Patrol get them stopped in a more secluded area where there isn't a lot of traffic. Um, and this has been been a problem. So, last year, twenty twenty one, our officer the, the number of pursuits doubled from the year before for us, and we're on track to double it again. And and um, it is just uh, it's not we're at a point where we can't just we can't say we're going to do nothing and let them come through the city that way. Right. It's just too dangerous for the people come at the intersections. Do you think they started um, driving that way because? It's been televised and announced all over the news that people aren't supposed to drive in pursuit. I, I think that's how it started. I absolutely do. They, they, and that was our practice. If somebody yeah. really was driving that recklessly, we'd have a plate. We'd try to find them later. But again, the, the habit was they would then blend in after we'd stop, but they're not doing that. Um, and a lot of them, to be, to be clear, they're, they're young. 
We're getting them as long as young as 14 years old. Driving? Taking their parents' car coming down here to, to, to do this. Um, and, uh, and so we're talking about very young individuals that don't have great judgment in the first place. And we've actually, when we've apprehended some of them on the social media apps, you can actually see where they're giving them, somebody's scouting and watching it and giving them directions, turn right, turn. And so one of them, they, they, and they usually bring a friend with them, so they're communicating while they're driving, and they're telling them, one particular case, turn down this road. Okay, you know, if you, okay, now if you just let, let your load load off, let them off, let, let them off and keep going, they'll stop. And, and the person, they're not, they're still chasing me, and they're saying, well, too bad. And, well, too bad. <laughs> you know, you're on your you're own. You're on your own. And, and uh, so... Enjoy um, your prison life. We are working... We're having meetings every week, and we're we're working. And everybody's included from Border Patrol, Homeland Security investigations, our county attorney. Our county attorney's charging these individuals with state crimes like endangerment. Oh yeah, to the to the motoring public, and even it, this is a humanitarian crisis as well because uh, the people that they pick up are stuck in their vehicle and they don't have any choice to go along. Right, and some of them are stuck in the trunk. Some of them, are, and so we are actually charging kidnapping. Under the state statutes, uh, our county attorney's taking those cases uh, to try to get the message out. Don't do this down in Cochise County. You're going to go to jail. Yeah. And and um, and the Homeland Security Investigations is working on trying to identify and deal with those that are facilitating this as well. So these people that are being these load people, where do they come from? Are they coming under the fence, over the fence, or are they coming through the port of entry? <laughs> they are. They are coming through the areas where there aren't any fences right now. Okay. okay so uh, down there for in, in, so just south of Sierra Vista is NACO and right. they have a NACO port of entry. And there is a, there's a big fence that goes quite a ways, uh, but it gets to our, our Wachuca Mountain areas, the Wachuca Mountains and the fence and, and the, the border it fence stops. stops. And so they're, and they're coming through the fence. Sometimes they'll cut the fence. Sometimes they'll go over the fence. I've seen that. Uh, but they're not coming through the ports. They're, they're going around it. And and they're they're coming through our more rural areas of our county, uh, just south of us. They're getting picked up uh, along the side of a highway. We, highway 92 runs south of us, and then runs right along the border, uh, all the way to Bisbee. Um, and so that's where they're getting picked up, and they're 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 coming up through the Coronado National Memorial, those areas where there's less fence. Um, and uh, Border Patrol is doing all they can. I mean, they they they're short staffed now, oh, and and they are and they are they are they're cooperating. They're working with us. We're all doing the best we can to get this thing taken care of and try to get them stopped before they even get into the Sierra Vista area. Uh, but once that those speeds start, there's not a real good spot south of Sierra Vista to deal with them. So we're trying to just get them through the area. Um, and I, kudos to to Department of Public Safety and 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 their leadership in terms of, of take being some of those that takes the lead to get them off the road because once they get up on the I-10, they're still driving that way. Yeah. And, and so then you're, it's just a, it's just dangerous to the entire community in the state of Arizona. Yeah, no kidding. The, the people that are coming through, are they bringing drugs or are they just people who don't want to <clears throat> wait the 20 years it takes to become a citizen? What... What is their story? So in, in Cochise County, the majority of that that are coming through, uh, we we are are twenty year old males uh, are the ones that are typically coming through in Cochise County. There, we have very few of the unaccompanied minors. Uh, those are usually going through Texas or Yuma, 
or the family units where you usually have the the single individual male most of them uh most of them are not carrying drugs uh they're just coming through but they will the cartels are learning to intermix with a group so so, so they'll come across when they come across they're all dressed in camouflage they have special carpeted shoes they put on to try to blend uh, to, they to showed me it. those that's right. pretty remarkable and so and they have their backpack with clothes and so the, maybe there's 10 and maybe the cartel will throw one in drug with. carrier in with them and and it's no longer the marijuana backpack 50 pound backpack it's typically the the pills now and the fentanyl and the and that that type of stuff that's coming through what do you think the solution is for this because it seems like the whole system for coming into this country is is broke for both sides it's not it's not something that we've got people waiting, you know, 10, 20 years to get a court hearing because we don't have enough judges. In my head, I'm thinking close the border, fix the problem, and then reopen it. But nobody's doing that. But what's the solution? Well, it is a difficult, it is a difficult solution. I think it has to be multi-pronged. Uh, mm-hmm. the, you do need to make sure that it's not so easy to get in. So you got to close that border. We got to get the federal government and the federal leadership to take a more proactive approach to our to our border. And you've got to kind of you got to start there, but then you got to fix the the process issue. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, and so so they could do that. And then I I don't disagree with also helping some of these countries where these people are coming from that need to get a better life. And some of them a lot of them are coming up to try to get a better life. Some of them have ill intentions, but most don't. And and uh, and so you've got to do some work with some of those countries to help the, the 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 populations there. But the but the process, I think we could probably greatly expand our 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 work permits uh, and that kind of stuff that could really help with some of this stuff. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not I'm not an immigration officer. I don't specialize in that. I specialize in our local community safety. Yeah. Uh, but um, you do have to start. You have to start where it's not so easy to get through. Yeah, uh, and then you can you can work on it otherwise. You're talking about twenty year olds. Um, my grandfather came to America and joined the military so that he could become a citizen. Wouldn't that be an option for some of these people? It, it absolutely is. In fact, we just had a a sergeant retire last year, and that's what he did. He he grew up in Agua Prieta, down in, down just AP. on the other side from Douglas. Yeah. And um, he he ended up was able to go to Douglas High School um, and legally and and then he joined the U.S. military and he got a citizenship through the U.S. military. He's one of our best officers we've ever had, and <laughs> and it was it was his way of doing that is getting through the system and and getting that getting that citizenship. And so it is it is an option. They um, should advertise that. I mean, you got obviously <laughs> got to vet the right people, right? Right, uh, like you do with anything else. But, um, but you got to get into the country legally first. But there might be some way in our process, probably, to do the the, the permitting. Said so if you get a work permit, you can do that to join the military, possibly, and and go through that process. It 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 could be an option. I'm not sure nowadays. You know, in our country, we're having enough. We're having a lot of trouble recruiting both military and police officers. Yeah, you know. And I don't know if that's cultural or if that's like it is all, you know, in a lot of places. And some of the, you know, I've had classes with law enforcement leaders from other countries. And and while they may deal with different criminal stuff and their laws may be different, when you start asking them about personnel issues, 
it's all the same. Yeah. People are people are people. Exactly. And, and so, um, they, you know, all their personnel issues are almost identical to what we deal with. That's kind of sad. It, well, it is. It's sad, <laughs> but it's also kind of comforting that you kind of feel like it's just not okay, us. Okay, <laughs> I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Right. Yeah, we've had people on here from all over the country, and they all say the same thing. Is You know, you'll, you'll try to recruit people and the quality of person, too. It's just not like when I was growing up, when you were growing up, you know, there's no accountability in... You know, it makes it difficult. It does make it difficult. I do think, uh, you know, some of the newer officers that we're hiring, uh, we it's this is one of those leadership struggles that we have. Uh, when I when I hired on, we put our whole life into the job, mm-hmm. and and we identify. When people ask you what you do, you say, "I am a cop." I'm, you know, it's it's your identity. Uh, the newer generation isn't like that, but I think they're going to be healthier for it in the long run. Yeah. You know, they, you know <laughs> but, but getting them to work overtime when I need them to work overtime can be a struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Nathan Chabin, producer for Law Matters. I have a goal to reach and I need your help. I want to put the DEA out of business. That's right, the Drug Enforcement Agency. If you have an addiction problem or know someone who does, please reach out to lawmatters1030.org and click the DEA tab for more information. Reaching out is the first step. We have the resources if you have the will. You can beat this demon and help me put the Drug Enforcement Agency out of business. Do you have security cameras on your home and live around the 400 block of West Ohio Street? On June 1st, 2021, a murder took place, and you just might have the information we need. To stay anonymous, upload your video to 88 Crime. ¿Tienes cámaras de seguridad en tu casa? ¿Y vives cerca de la cuadra 400 oeste de la calle Ohio? El primero de junio de 2021 se registró un homicidio y es posible que usted tenga la información necesaria para resolver este caso. Para permanecer anónimo, sube su video a la página 88crime.org. Were you in the area of the 4400 block of South 7th Avenue at 10 p.m. on July 23, 2021? If you have security cameras, you just might have a tip that will help solve the murder that took place there. To stay anonymous, use 88 Crime and upload your video. Si estabas o tienes cámaras de seguridad en la área de 4400 Sur de la 7th Avenida, a las 10 de la tarde, el 23 de julio de 2021, es posible que tengas información que resuelva el homicidio que tuvo lugar ahí. Para permanecer anónimo, use la página 88crime.org y suba su video. Thanks for staying with us. I want to tell everybody because we're having technical difficulties here. So I wasn't able to record a promo. I want to tell everybody that next week we are going to be talking about bail reform with Ken Wood and gun law loopholes with Rex Scott. And I also want to tell everybody, I'm going to make some announcements here. About the uh, 27th of August, we're going to be broadcasting from the Harley-Davidson dealership at uh, Ina and I-10, and we're supporting the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders. So if you want to register for this ride, you don't need a motorcycle. Schwinn will do. Um, come over there on the 27th and registration will be open. 
and we're asking our listeners to nominate a veteran. If you've got a veteran that you think deserves a day of recognition, we have a contest on our website. Go to the contest page, nominate a veteran, and we're going to honor him or her uh, in November. So our guest today is the chief of Sierra Vista Police Department, Chief Thrasher, and we've been talking about all the wonderful things that are happening in Sierra Vista. Yes, uh, again, thank you. That's a... Uh, doing that announcement that's always wonderful when uh, we have people that do groups to fall to honor our fallen officers and what they've Absolutely. done and, and uh you know it's one of those things that uh, i know my my wife and everything thinks about every time you you leave the house and when the phone ring gets in the middle of the night you go running out the door so uh that's a those are always fun to, to participate in and and be a part of and they deserve the recognition absolutely absolutely, absolutely. so what else is going on down there you went to buena high school the Buena High School I knew isn't there anymore. It's I think it's a car lot. And that's the Buena High School I went to. Yes, yeah. and it's a it's a it's a gas station, a car lot. Uh, that part of it because it was two campuses at the time when I went there. Part of it is is still part of the school district, but it's their their district offices and stuff. So okay, uh, but they built a new high school uh, uh, over there, and uh, so we've got we've got a school resource officer at the high school. Uh, there's uh, roughly about two thousand kids in that school. And uh, one officer? One officer uh, that's assigned over to that school. Do um, all the schools have a resource officer? They do not. We So uh, we are authorized at 68 officers. Uh, so we're a population of 46,000. We only have an authorization of 68 officers. And we only have 60 positions filled at the moment. So uh, you're hiring. So we are hiring. In fact, that was one of my big things here. I got to give a plug. So, okay. <laughs> so uh, we are hiring and we will be hiring. We've got probably about 15 people that that'll be eligible to retire in the next five to 10 years too. Ooh, so, wow, you're really hiring. So uh, we'll be hiring. I've been authorized to overfill. Uh, we've got the, the eight officer positions uh, that are open. Um, and then I've got uh, a couple brand new positions that we're currently advertising right now. Uh, we're starting uh, community service officer positions like Tucson uh, mm-hmm. has. Okay. Uh, so we'll have two of those. And then we're doing having a civilian background investigator uh, position uh, open up. So what, is, what did they so, do? So uh, they would do the, the investigations, back, hiring background investigations on applicants. Okay. Uh, liquor licenses. Uh, he'll, the person will also be uh, tasked with doing our, our internal administrative investigations. So right now, all that stuff is assigned to one of our major crimes detectives. I only have four of them. Oh, wow. So so uh, sometimes our backgrounds take a little longer than I'd like yeah. uh, on the hiring process. So uh, we're, we're going to try to use a civilian position. Uh, they're not, they don't have to be an Arizona certified post officer. They do have to have four years investigative experience from something uh, to apply. Um, from something? Yes. Yeah, so law enforcement... Department of Defense, some type of investigative experience they need to have. So do you, you hire people out of the military? We do. And, and we do uh, as part of our, our, uh, uh, our officers also. So we require 30 college credits to apply with us. Um, we actually require you to have 60 college credits to work as an officer. Uh, with but when PD. you take the training, isn't that college credit? And that's what we're doing now. So before we weren't. And okay. you had to have 30 college credits, and then you could go to the academy and get the other 30 from Cochise College to the academy. Right. So now we recognize the, the military joint services transcript. And so if they have at least 30 college-level credit, uh, either undergraduate or graduate, on their joint services transcript, they qualify to apply with us. And then they would get the other 30 at the academy. Uh, so we are accepting that joint services transcript. But before... Uh, 
probably we've changed that a couple years ago. They would have to go to a college and and apply to the college and get the, those college trans those French and those transferred. First Thirty credits are right. a little boring, <clears throat> right? So now we're just accepting them <laughs> right off from the military, and we're working with the transition assistance program. We actually have one individual at the academy right now that's uh, still actually in the army, but the army has an internship program where they go work for whoever the company is going to hire them for three months. Have you advertised at DM? We have advertised everywhere, and okay. so uh, and we've taken recruiting trips to Fort Bliss and to Fort Hood, and uh, obviously Fort Huachuca, and we've been sending them to all the transition offices, you know, to that what uh, what we're doing to try to get those people hired for us. Fort Bliss, you're spreading it out. Have you been to San Diego? They've got a um, bunch of people there. Yes, and <laughs> and it's it's actually harder to recruit the the ones from California. Uh, Fort Bliss, we've turned. It turns out they actually have a community college academy there too that we're working with. Um, but uh, there's a lot of people in in the Las Cruces and the El Paso area that are very familiar with Sierra Vista and Fort Huachuca and Tucson because of the, the I-10 coming through. Right. And so uh, we just took a trip out there. We were at their community college and at Fort Bliss, and and a lot of them knew exactly what we were talking about. Uh, and so and the. The climate atmosphere is very similar, so we're seeming to get a little bit more interest coming out of that uh, in our recruiting process, uh, but uh, pretty much we're advertising nationwide uh, for officers. So if you have, you're hiring anybody who's already law enforcement, can they just transition into your department? Yes. Yeah, so we have also a lateral officer program, uh, so they will get credit up to nine years uh, for the agency. So, uh, we have a, like any other, uh, the pay, pay scale, they have steps, uh, you know, step one, step two, and, and each year is a step. And so if you have uh, nine years, up to nine years experience, you could get a step, you can get hired as a step nine as a lateral officer. If you're an Arizona certified officer, uh, it's a lot easier. And, and, uh, we, as long as your, your certification is active, uh, it, you just go into our field training program once you get hired. And what what does that entail? So that's a minimum of twelve weeks of training with a with an with an, a training officer sits next next to you in the seat. Pretty much grades you every day. It's a daily observation report. He gets a report card every day, which did good, which did bad, and they go through three different officers, and then they go back to the original for two weeks uh, in an observation phase where that training officer isn't supposed to help them, just supposed to observe to make sure they can do the job on their own before they are sent out uh, on their own and get off field training. Uh, if if an officer is certified in another state, uh, we will hire them and then challenge the academy uh, so they could go to Arizona Post, uh, they meet the minimum requirements like anybody else, and then they can uh, take a test to try to get out of the academy and then take the driver's train, pass the driver's training and the firearms. Test out of it? Test out of the academy if you've been to an academy in another state. Uh, so we, so we if do you had a too. policeman from Chicago and they wanted to work in Sierra, they'd feel like they were on vacation. Well, <laughs> they may or they may not because we really do work our officers hard because we expect them to do a lot of things. Our patrol officers do almost everything. So they work traffic, they take calls for service, they investigate cases. Uh, do you have all, a call center? We work with the sheriff's office, so we have a joint communication center with the sheriff's office, okay. uh, and uh, we call it, it's called CECOM, and so we, uh, I think, I want to say it was 2017, 2018, we merged, okay. and we created uh, the, the CECOM, so now sheriff's office, uh, 
um, service to police department, Wachuca City PD, part-time for Bisbee T, part-time for Tombstone Marshals, and all the fire departments in the entire, pretty much the entire county are dispatched out of this one center. Um, and, well, and it's out of sense. service to, and uh, it's been a it's it's been a struggle in making it happen as as when you first start this stuff up, but it's been great in terms of being able to communicate with each other. Now, uh, we've had so many cases with the sheriff's office uh, where we were both dealing with something, and we're trying to make phone calls to the other dispatch center to relay information. That's never a good thing. Yeah. And so now they're sitting next to each other, and then we can get on their frequency. The sheriff's department has been gracious enough to allow us on their their radio infrastructure that 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 Mark Daniels was instrumental in getting put in place, and so now all our radios all have, we have everybody's frequency in there, and and we can turn to it if we need to, and it's been it's been really good for that. Um, they're hiring as well. They're yeah. really struggling. <laughs> they, we really need dispatchers down there. Uh, they're one of the higher paid dispatchers in the state. So anybody that likes to be what, thinking about being a dispatcher, check out. Uh, where know, would they have them. to live? Where? Uh, well, so they, there is no residency requirement, but the center is located in Sierra Vista. Okay. Uh, and they would actually apply. The city of Sierra Vista is the hiring agent for CECOM. Okay. Uh, so they would apply through through the city of Sierra Vista uh, to become a dispatcher. But the, uh, and they CECOM is its own entity run by a joint powers authority. Okay. Um, but the city of Sierra Vista handles the finances and the human resources, and then the county handles the radio infrastructure, the computers, and the building. So, so it is joint ever? It is absolutely joint. You know, and I, I would suggest anybody who's thinking about doing any of these jobs, go to your library or go online, research what the requirements are, practice, practice, practice. Practice, 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 and then come do a ride-along. Yes. Uh, come come right along with an officer. You can go and sit in, in the dispatch center and learn what they do because not every agency does the same stuff. Right. And and uh, I think it's important for people to kind of get their get an idea. We we have had occasion where somebody's gone through the academy and they get out and they really start doing the job and they realize this isn't for me. Yeah. And I you know it would be nice to happen happen earlier, but as long as they realize that that this at job, some point at some yeah. point. Uh, is you know when you're answering the phone and you're handing off that call to the the first responder, you don't always get to know what happens. And that is the biggest complaint the dispatchers have. Yeah, and what and happened with especially that on critical incidents. So we started doing uh, uh, st uh, stress incident debriefs on major incidents that right. we invite the dispatchers, anybody, firefighters, and and the dispatchers like it because they get get some closure, some uh, that they don't always get. Um, and one of the things our, our dispatch center does um, that we started up about, I guess, a little over a year now, they do do emergency medical dispatch through there. So they will give pre-arrival instructions to those on scene. So if you if somebody has goes into cardiac arrest and you call 911, they will give you CPR instructions over the phone, stay on the phone with you until a first responder gets there. So um, it's been a great program in terms of saving lives. What kind of training do they go through? How long is that? Because that sounds pretty intense. So we You've have got a, somebody's life in your hands. That it, yeah, it, and it can be. So we we have actually it's it's a company that runs a program called ProQA, um, and they have an entire training program for the emergency medical dispatch. That when they when our dispatchers get hired, they go through that training almost immediately, and then they go into training with a with a actual dispatcher sit next to them helping them answer the phones helping giving them direction uh, and 
that's just for answering the phones and there's a whole different section on talking on the radio and keeping track of the officers and the firefighters and all those things too so yeah because there's things that you know people are hysterical and you know and you have to calm them down and and talk to them and use certain language so you're not you know throwing kerosene on the fire <laughs> it, it can be very stressful i've you know when we had the dispatch center in our building and i'd walk in there and everything else and sometimes i'd sit at the council to fill in if somebody needed a break or something um i i don't think i could do that job personally for you know for all full day time, long, all yeah. day long uh, it takes a certain personality and and they are definitely invaluable to the the, the community is anybody ever surprised to hear your voice when you answer the phone? Uh, th yes. Uh, th there's times, I mean, we're small enough now, that there are times where I'll go make traffic stops. People are surprised when they get pulled over by the chief of police, but, you know. Uh, um, Do they it, beg for forgiveness? Uh, uh, everybody begs for forgiveness. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so what else is happening down there that we need to know about, like um, vehicle burglaries? Right. So uh, vehicle burglaries has always been a big issue in Sierra Vista. I think that a big issue in every community. Um, I, I would say to get the message out, lock your cars, uh, remove That's any value. That's the biggest thing, oh, it, lock your car. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because uh, all, there's so many of them, the car doors are unlocked. Right. And then they leave valuables in the passenger compartment. So remove your valuables from the passenger compartment, put them in the trunk if you need to, um, Don't don't, and then lock the doors. Uh, we have instances where people are just going through parking lots, checking car doors yeah. and, and I've seen it taking some of the here. valuables. And sometimes it's just minor stuff. Uh, but yes, definitely. We, the phrase lock it or lose it. So we say lock it or lose it. Uh, yeah. Lock your cars, remove the valuables. Um, uh, people get complacent and I understand and they feel they're safe and I'm, I'm glad they feel they're safe, but, but uh, the thieves are out there. And yeah. so uh, uh, just make sure you lock your, lock your car doors. The other program we have going down at Sierra Vista, and, and it's it got off to a great start in 2021, it's our Better Bucks program. And so you know what? it's called Better Bucks. And uh, this was actually started up in Flagstaff by Flagstaff PD. And it's a way to kind of curb panhandling and to help those that are in need. And so we have a, a started up with our police department, with our, our community resource officer, and he got city council buy-in, and he now has a board. We have a nonprofit board that runs the program. And so they take in donations, and they create booklets, and they're called Better Bucks. And uh, there's a booklet of five bucks in it, um, and it costs $6. And then we have agreements with stores like Safeway and Fry's, and so you give these to people that are panhandling and they can go in and buy essentials uh, with it. And there's just a list of stuff they can buy. They can't buy alcohol. They can't buy any of those other things that might help with their, if they have a substance abuse problem. Uh, but it can help in terms of the number of panhandlers you have and the fact that you're actually helping people um, and they're getting the essentials uh, with these better bucks. There's we we the city of service is on board has a free bus pass on there for them so they can get from to services, and then we we run a program monthly uh, with that uh, with all the service organizations in the community where people can come to a one stop shop to get help uh, you know housing help you know if it's uh, employment help those kind of things. Uh, Where is that located? So we run that out of our, our community center or at the Ethel Burger Center, we call it in Sierra Vista. So it's it's run... Uh, on Fry Boulevard? It's it's actually behind the city complex on Coronado Drive. Okay. Uh, by, behind the library up where all the city complex is. And that's once a month um, that they do that. Um, but the Better Buck stuff has really taken off. We actually have one 
one particular uh, store that is that has been vocal that their shopliftings have gone down since the Budbrooks have come in. That's, and, that's a plus. And so, uh, and so we're now getting service organizations will buy the better bucks. And so what happens is then Fry's, if Fry's takes in five better bucks, they get reimbursed for it from the program. So they still get their money. Um, and um, that's why they end up continuing to participate in that. So the better bucks board will then reimburse them for whatever they turn in on the better bucks. And so service organizations are buying them, handing them out. And it doesn't have to be the panhandler. It could be just somebody that's in need, somebody that's struggling. And it'll help them purchase those essential items they need to live. You should tell Tucson about that. Well, we have now gotten a lot of inquiries down here since we started up. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Flagstaff PD, give them credit. They're the ones that started this. There's a there's a, a whole nonprofit organization up in Flagstaff that came down and helped us get started. So I want to give them credit. Uh, they've been they've been most helpful in getting Was us. Was that a college service. student? No, I don't think oh, it was. No? Uh, it, okay. I think it was, I was a brainchild of, yeah. of Flagstaff PD uh, really? originally. Yeah. Cool. And uh, so, um, so far it's, it's, it's making progress. And now we're now branching out. We're now exploring ideas uh, with that program of, of possibly providing day labor type stuff for those that, that want to earn some money and that type of thing. So. Okay. What kind of day labor are you talking about? We are still working on that. Okay. okay. This is still, this is, we are definitely in the brainchild, you know, mode, mode at this point, but, um, those type of things more, I would imagine some construction yard work, those type of things, type, type, type work, but I don't know it could expand out. Uh, we're looking at grant opportunities regarding, uh, with that, that type of, uh, that type of system and to try to help those that are in need. Cause especially now with the economy, the way it is, people are struggling a lot more, uh, and we're, we're starting to see while they may not necessarily be homeless, there are people that are really struggling out there. Yeah, there so. are with everything that's going on. It's been rough for everybody, but I like that program. That makes sense. I think we should do that. So we're 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 going to see where we can go and expand that program. But the Better Bucks has been been uh, and city council, our city council, uh, was so excited about it. Uh, they they budgeted an initial fund to start the program. Uh, our city council. You see, did. that's what you need. So, um, and now it's pretty much self sustaining. So um, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah, because I know there's a lot of uh, stores up here. Walgreens is one of them, and you know you're talking fries. They're just walking in and they're grabbing stuff and running out. Right. And, you know, and it's probably stuff that they need, they can't afford. But still, if they had a program like this, they wouldn't have to do that. And it, and it's never going to stop it 100%. No, you nothing know, will. Uh, nothing will, but it, it, those that, you know, uh, it can help. Um, and part of the issue, part of the issue is, is you get some aggressive panhandlers out there. Mm -hmm. So if you're giving them something not giving them cash that can help maybe facilitate not every, not all of them but a lot of them have some use problems and you don't want to help them with that program that right one. so you give them the better bucks i've even had people come up and ask me do you have some oh, wow. uh, so um and that's a so that's a great program that do I you have I any think. with you what does it I look do not, like i do not have them with me in fact i i thought about that when i walked out when i got home last i'm like oh, i didn't bring any of it to show oh, so no. but, but uh, <laughs> it's just a little coupon book Okay. And and then, like I said, on the back, we have a, a, bu a bus pass. It's free so that people can ride the bus and other 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 programs on there. And then there's a whole list of resources on there or printed on there. So if you uh, have housing issues or, you know, Arizona at work, all those type of things are, are listed there for resources. Veterans resources uh, are part of that as well. 
so uh, get the trying to get that word out to, to people that to, to uh, get the help that they need. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many people and they don't know where to turn. And a lot of people are finding themselves in the situation for the first time ever. So they really don't know where to go and what to do. Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, right now it's just in Sierra Vista at this point because it's just the Sierra Vista stores that have agreed to be part of this. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have to sign an agreement. And, of course, they have to get reimbursed by the, by the nonprofit. So, uh, but more and more stores are starting to come on board. We have some fast food restaurants that have come on board. Um, you know, not just the grocery stores, um, with Goodwill stores on board. So if people need clothing, they can do use those things for that, that, that type of stuff too. So, well, I'm going to tell everybody to call you. Well, it's called Corporal Scott Borgstad. <laughs> <laughs> He's our community resource officer. He's the one obviously that set up this program for us. And I'm going to tell him what you said. <laughs> and he'll know it. So, so no, that's, that's awesome. So if somebody's thinking about getting into the industry, become a, a law enforcement, what words of encouragement do you have for them? Uh, it is a great profession and it is very rewarding and it, and it is very challenging. Uh, so I, I, I want people to come through and I want them to have, you know, the eyes wide open thing, know what you're getting yourself into. Just do the research, do the ride along, do the ride along. Do you have a helicopter? Uh, we do not have a helicopter, oh, well but then. we have, we have UAVs <laughs> that we have the little, little drones. We have a program for that, but we don't have a helicopter. Uh, but we do have, uh, all the other positions. We have the SWAT team. We have uh, major detectives, property crimes detectives, narcotics detectives. Uh, we have a, you know, people can be part of, you know, we have a part-time bicycle unit, those type of things. Uh, I do, we take great pride in Servista that if you come to us, you're going to probably get the best training in the state. So not only do you go to the academy, we do in-service training for four hours every single month, and we do some type of firearms training every single month, uh, defensive tactics several times a year and the driver's training. So we continue, it's a, just a continuous training uh, revolution that we do with our officers so that, that they can do their job safely and stay out of trouble. And stay out of trouble. Are people still falling off of Car Canyon? Uh, we haven't had one in a while. Uh, <laughs> we haven't had one in a while, but uh, our the county search and rescue, the sheriff's search and rescue is out every weekend yeah. uh, right now. Uh, and people get lost in the mountains. And, uh, yes, <laughs> that's it always amazed me. Okay, I want to remind everybody next week we have, we're going to talk about bail bond reform and we're going to talk about the loopholes and the gun law. And I want to thank you for coming on, coming all the way up from Sierra Vista. It's my pleasure. And next time, bring the coupons with you, please. I will do that. <laughs> and until next week, shop local and stay safe. Thank you.